And welcome, everyone, to a very special episode of the Amazing Starts Here podcast. I am Billy Horner, the Assistant General Manager of the Brooklyn Cyclones, and I am joined by a very special guest, the newest member of the New York Mets broadcast team, Keith Redd, who has spent the last four seasons with us here in Brooklyn as the voice of the Brooklyn Cyclones and will now be joining Howie Rose in the radio booth. A slight upgrade from doing things like this with me, Keith. <laughs> well, it's going to be on the other side of the Amazing Starts Here podcast. I'm glad that you're now running the ship. Uh, but yeah, everything that you just said is pinch me and I could not be happier, but it's going to be a lot of pinch me until that first game sitting next to Howie. Yeah, it's been a, a wild ride, I think, for you know the, the, the few of us here who sort of knew what was going on and um, we're, we're rooting and, and pulling for you and, and hoping that the situation would, would work itself out in the way that it has. So um, congratulations on that. We're all super pumped for you. You know, it's a different situation. We see guys come through here all the time and uh, make the, the climb up to the major leagues, but um, this is a different sort of animal. Like these, these jobs don't come open very often. Um, they don't become available very often. And they, uh, you know, as a, as a guy who has been doing this for a while, you know, how, how does it, has it sunk in really that this is like a, this is, this is the thing now you like your, your game come, you know, March 31 or whatever opening day is for the Mets. You're going to be Sandy Alcantara and Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander, whoever's going to be on the mound and uh, Keith Rad in the booth. Is that sort of sunk in yet? Probably not. Uh, I don't think it'll sink in for a, a while. I don't know if I want it to sink in for a while because it's just so crazy because the journey is the best part of getting there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a family with, with you guys since 2018. It's been five years, four seasons. The COVID year was a lot of slice of life with you, Bill. That was the best part of uh, COVID was still doing some, doing some content. But yeah, it's, it's crazy because you can almost count on one hand how many radio broadcasters the Mets have had in their history since 1962. And to be a finger, maybe a pinky or a start on the next hand of guys that have been in the booth, it's insane because everybody that is usually in that booth is there for like 30 years. It's like a Supreme Court justice. So I can't believe it. I, I probably won't believe it for a while, but it's going to be home, which will be a lot different than uh, than the catbird seat at Maimonides Park. Yeah, you mentioned it. It's sort of like I've said this to you before. It's, it's like the, the Pittsburgh Steelers head coaches. They've had three head coaches for the last 50 years or whatever it is. So, you know, you go from uh, Bob Murphy to, to Gary, Gary to Howie. And before that, you have um, Lindsey Nielsen. And then now here you have Keith Rad joining that crew. It's, uh, you know, as a guy who's a Mets fan myself and, and grew up listening to the radio. And uh, it's, it's a wild moment, you know, just to be able to say that, Hey, my buddy's the Mets radio announcer now. Like this is this is crazy stuff. And you know, you're you're gonna have uh, people starting to get to know you. So I mean, we've we've been with you, like you said, for the last five years. And uh, you know, people are saying, you know, we're a short season baseball team, and, we, and then now we're a high A baseball team, and making that jump to the big leagues. But this isn't like an overnight sensation thing. You know, we, we you you've been plugging away for years, riding buses and, and making fun road trips. And uh, tell us a little about you know, what happened before the Cyclones and, and how you got here and that it's really not just a flip of the switch and all of a sudden you're in the big leagues. I know it may it may seem like that because people that are floating through Twitter and like, oh, 
wow, okay, never heard of him. Oh, he's the Brooklyn guy. Great. Good for him. That's that's amazing. And certainly that's what it ended up being. Uh, amazing timing and luck in that. But, you know, it's been hundreds and hundreds of games and hours and many nights where people had no idea who I who I was. And now they have a little bit of an idea about, okay, who's this new guy coming into town? But, yeah, I started after uh, after college at the University of Dayton. Graduated in 2015. My first year was in the Cincinnati Reds organization as the broadcast assistant, the number two, as we say, doing Dayton Dragons baseball games. That was my first taste of it, taste of the grind, taste of doing this every single day and realizing how bad I was. Great. It was amazing to get the chance, but then how much work has to go into uh, your sound. And it's more than that. Um, What you're saying is very important, too. So I learned there. Uh, kind of how to get the start. Tom Nichols, who he believed in me when nobody else did in the very beginning, gave me a shot because that was a job that went to a lot of phenomenal STAA All-American Syracuse kids who are terrific, and they usually would go to Dayton. Uh, But one year, some kid from the University of Dayton got that job. So that was very fortunate for me. After that, I went to uh, the Long Island Ducks as an independent baseball team out on Long Island. Uh, Michael Pollock is the lead broadcaster, Chris King, who does Islanders Radio, does their games. I was doing a couple games as a youngster. Uh, They took a chance on me. Indie ball was different, different beast, uh, as you probably know just from being around the game. But important to get that experience to be well-rounded in doing this and seeing what that lifestyle is like, how important um, places like that are to the community and uh, people who love the Long Island Ducks. It's a staple in, in Suffolk County and Long Island. So they run a Michael Pfaff, Frank Bolton run an amazing operation. And then down to the AA Frisco, Texas, Texas Rangers organization. That was kind of the highest level, quote unquote, I've ever been to. And from there, I kind of saw the writing on the wall as how to kind of carve my own career path and what I needed to do to get to where I wanted to go. Felt more comfortable at that point. And after working at the Disneyland of minor league baseball, which is the beautiful, uh, Dr. Pepper Ballpark, at least at the time, was Dr. Pepper Ballpark in Frisco with a Lazy River in right field. Uh, I decided to come back to New York City, decided to bother you as much as I humanly could and have as many chow time chicken dumplings on Mermaid Avenue as they would allow. Yeah, and then then that fateful day at the winter meetings, we sat down across from a giant sculpture of a chocolate house, I believe, (laughs) in the the, uh, Swan and Dolphin there. And History was made. Little did I know, you know, here we go. Um, so you, you do the broadcast thing, obviously, but, you know, when you're coming up through um, minor leagues, obviously um, that's not paying the bills for, for a life for, for sure. So you've had some other odd jobs along the way. You've been a uh, hockey referee um, and you've had some other stops. So, you know, this isn't, I just want to establish here that, you know, this is this, you've been grinding at this for a long time and you've, you know, been doing a lot of odd jobs to get to this point. So this is not like a snap the fingers, here he is kind of guy. So tell us a little about the other stuff you had to do. Yeah, so to be honest with you, people see, oh, you're doing doing games, whether it's college games or minor league games, and, oh, man, you're living the life. You're living the, the great lifestyle. But it's the truth is you're not. I mean, you're not getting paid much at all. I mean, I was making hundreds of dollars a month to go to these places, which doesn't help when rent could be – thousands of dollars a month. So you have to figure out host families. You have to figure out how to grab pennies from under a couch to buy lunch. So I was, especially when I got back to um, back to Brooklyn, because when you're in the middle of the season, it's hard to do anything else. 
So that's why you need to kind of build up your funds, so to speak, before you go into the season because you're eating, sleeping and breathing baseball. But yeah, I was a hockey referee. So a lot of Saturdays and Sundays at 8 year, eight U, 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I remember there was a, I was refing a game in Long Beach. There was a, I guess you could call it a scrum, bunch of 10-year-olds in front of the net. I got my feet kicked out from under me. I snapped back and I actually broke my wrist uh, refing a 10U hockey game. Um, and then she was doing a ton of men's leagues. Uh, there's a, a men's league, Hot Shots Hockey uh, in uh, Belmore, Merrick, Newbridge. And I spent a lot of mornings, Monday through Friday, doing a lot of cops and firefighters uh, who just got off their shifts. And uh, now they're now they're yelling at me because I'm calling a penalty on them and they're the authority figures. And who's who are you talking? Who are you giving me a penalty kit? You know, like that kind of thing. Uh, but scrapping together and scraping together as much as I possibly could. Um, I would wait tables. I did Postmates. I did Uber Eats. And then I got plenty of parking tickets in the city. And I said, Screw that. Not doing that anymore. And then during COVID, especially if anyone ever out there has ever had a plan for a wedding and get ready to spend your life away. So in Brooklyn, taking care of me, it's been very nice. I full time now I've kind of paid my dues in that category. But when the season doesn't happen, there's a there was a pullback of salaries for most people. Everybody kind of went through that. So I started working at uh, Gristidi's, which is a fine establishment in Manhattan. I was at the deli working the meat slicer, trying to save as much money for a wedding, which was coming up at the end of the 2020 year. We had eventually pushed it to 2021. But yeah, I mean, I walked to this spot on the Upper East Side in my Boar's Head hat and my apron, and I'd walk home with Buffalo Boar's Head buffalo chicken shavings and cheese all on me, and I'd get home, and my fiance at the time would just smell a uh, a deli guy walking through the house and all right, take a shower and then come kiss me. Hello. That kind of thing. And then here we are. So yeah, it's, it's, I'd love to say I just woke up and, or my family gave me an infusion of money. I stopped asking my family for money probably the day I turned 16. Um, and you just kind of, if you want to do it, you've got to do it. But they, people don't know that you get paid $50 a game or a hundred dollars a game. And you might have two games that month. So what the hell do I do for the other 32, 28 days of the month? Uh, it's a lot of determination, belief in yourself. Uh, and when I broke my wrist, I actually got hit in the, I broke my wrist, I broke my finger. And then one of the last straws was I got hit with a puck in the mouth from point blank range and my teeth busted through my lip. Sorry, everybody. Teeth busted, busted through my lip. I am, it's amazing. I didn't lose any teeth, but it was a close call. And my mother kind of said, what are you doing? You know, you want to be on TV. You want to be in radio. You cannot have a hockey face. So stop. And I did. And here I am. <laughs> yeah, that's the moneymaker. You don't want to mess around with the moneymaker. That, that, that Keith Red golden smile. We don't want to mess with that. Uh, so when you're talking about your deli slicer, I can't help but think of one of your other loves besides baseball and the New York Mets. And that is, of course, Dr. Martin Van Nostren and Seinfeld. So now you're going to be sitting with Howie. Uh, a known Seinfeld aficionado. You're going to be potentially being heard by Jerry Seinfeld himself. Uh, let's, let, let's talk a little bit about where you are as a Seinfeld guy. Who's, who's your, your, what's your, the, the line you say too many times. What's your favorite episode? Let's, uh, let's get that out of the way. 
I don't know. I just started watching the show, watching reruns in like seventh and eighth grade after school. And I just came home and it used to be on TBS, used to be back to back 30 minute episodes. And I just haven't stopped. And I have watched every episode at least 10 or 15, probably 20 times. My favorite episode is the, again, there's so many, but the Kenny Rogers Roasters episode where uh, Kramer and Jerry switch apartments. Kramer loves the chicken. Hijinks ensue. Obviously, you have to kind of see the episode to know what I'm talking about. That is my favorite one because the writing in that show is so good. There's a line in there that I'll tell you it now. You won't laugh. You won't have any idea. It's so deep and detailed is that when Kramer and Jerry switch apartments and uh, Kramer says, let's let's I'll stay with you, buddy. I, I, this light is is coming into my apartment. Let me let me stay with you. And and Jerry goes. Oh, no, maybe we should knock these walls down, make it an eight-bedroom luxury suite. And Kramer said, Jerry, these are load-bearing walls. They're not going to come down. And like the level of writing to get to that line is terrific. There was an episode I was watching the other day where George and, Jer- uh, George and Jerry are talking about a barometer. And Kramer out of, the, out of nowhere just goes, it's pronounced thermometer. And what? You know, like somebody wrote that. And I, I love that. But how is a huge Seinfeld nut? I'm a huge Seinfeld nut. I actually just saw him. A couple weeks ago, live at the Beacon Theater in New York for the first time ever. It was a Christmas present from my wife. And a couple days later, some people said, you realize you were listening to Jerry. He might be listening to you a lot more than you might be listening to him. And that I don't even know how to take that because that's crazy to me that because he's obviously a a major Mets fan. And I have no idea what that means, Uh, but maybe we'll make him smile in a car or a, a, a nice apartment or a Hamptons house. Somewhere, wherever Jerry is, he says. Yeah, if you ever stumble upon him, say the opposite of everything that you've ever thought of saying <laughs> to Jerry Seinfeld when you meet him for the first time. One of my favorite things, you know, every year working with you here was our Seinfeld Day uh, game notes. And you had this uncanny ability to make everything in the game notes match up to some type of Seinfeld reference. And even to the point of uh, the end of our game in 2020. To our 2021 with the uh, fly ball to center field caught by Tanner Murphy. Boutros, Boutros, golly, the Cyclones are victorious. One of my favorite moments. And seeing you interact with the people who we've had here over the years. You know, this year we had Donna Chang and we've had, um, you know, other people over the years. And seeing you in your glory calling a game while also fanboying a little bit with these people. It was some of my favorite days here at the ballpark. So my favorite memory is... When Steve Heitner, also known as Kenny Banya, who's a Valley Stream native, shout out Valley Stream, where I grew up. He went to Valley Stream Central. He came on. He was my first year. uh, And uh, Jeremiah Burkett was here as well. Uh, But Steve Heitner came on. And that was my first taste of a Seinfeld person. And I we were just talking, doing the game. And I said something. And he started cracking up. And I said, oh, my God. I just made... Him laugh. This is a professional comedian, one of the most legendary figures in Seinfeld history. He just laughed. And I was like, wow, that was the greatest feeling ever to me. And kind of showed me a little bit, oh, maybe I can hang with with these kinds of people. Um, but those were my favorite days. Was it a joke about Oval Team? <laughs> I think they call it call it Round Team, Bill. <laughs> uh, but you, the, the, the worst part of Seinfeld was the waiting for you to finally tell me, hey, we got so-and-so is coming, so I can start my prep work of watching that episode over and over again. But we've had 
uh, Lloyd Braun. We've had the Bizarro Jerry, uh, Kevin, who was here. And then Donna Chang most recently, which was which was really cool. And getting to hang out with them in real life. I would just love to see what kind of residual checks they're getting every single month from the show. But it was amazing. And my favorite part about being here, by far, without a doubt. And, of course, the game notes were fun. And, uh, yeah, I think that might have been the reason why I matched up with this place. I didn't realize that you started Seinfeld Night. It was your baby. It was a dream promotion, one of the greatest of all time, created by you, Billy Harner. But I would have I, – I couldn't go anywhere else. This is the spot for me. That was kind of a, a perfect marriage right there. Yeah, you met Jeremiah Burkett, who was Jean-Paul Jean-Paul. That was one of my favorite things we ever did was when we, he came here, we did a 0.5K, which was one lap around the warning track. And we called it the uh, Mr. Bevilacqua uh, Memorial 0.5K. And little did I know, actual Mr. Bevilacqua reached out to me. <laughs> so it was not a memorial. And he, he came to the game with his family that day. It was uh, one, of the, one of the cooler things that we've done. You know, the, like the first year we did it, I had a guy from Rhode Island named George Costanza um, reach out. And I said, you know what? You've always wanted to be a color guy. So we let him go on the air for an inning <laughs> and call play by play. And just the, the, uh, the stuff that always just seems to happen. Like it's like a, I say it's like a Forrest Gump event where, you know, stuff just finds us. We had, you know, the, the marine biologist, the, the the woman from the marine biologist, flew her way here the first year just because she wanted to be a part of it. She threw a Titleist for the first pitch. It's oh my uh, whatever. You know, you've Too been good. here. Um, so enough about enough about me. No, no, no. One more uh, thing on that. One more thing on that is that a lot of minor league broadcasters, everybody's certainly serious with their work and wants to be a professional, but it is learning in places like this. You're able to be so comfortable to kind of make fun of yourself or be creative with these theme nights. And once you start to latch on and you realize and you see people's reactions to these things, you start to loosen up and get comfortable with what makes things kind of human. And that experience helped me to, you know, make people laugh on the air with a guest and then take some of that stuff and throw in a Boutros Boutros golly because people know what I'm talking about. And that's a part of my personality that you obviously know in the back alley, back offices here at Cyclones. I'm constantly making Seinfeld jokes and references. Why not take it on the air? Why not use that stuff? Because the show turned out pretty well. Maybe I could steal some of that that mojo. But it, it does help to get comfortable in places like this and different theme nights and just seeing what you can do to make people happy and have a good time and be entertained. Yeah, and I, I think one of my favorite things about listening to, to your broadcast, I've had the... Uh, fortune, I guess, I'll use fortune because, you know, I'm going to speak nicely about you, um, of listening to basically every one of your games that you've done with the Cyclones is, you know, part of my job for the most part. I have to listen and follow along and update Twitter and whatever else. Um, and you have an uncanny ability of just being conversational and uh, making people feel, I mean, our fans say this all the time, they, they feel like they know you, uh, people who have never been to the ballpark, people who are um, listening to their sons playing for the first time as a professional after they get drafted and uh, have never met you and they show up and it's like they're meeting family. You have uh, an uncanny ability to do that. And you do a great job of storytelling. You know, our, our, our first Seinfeld night or one of our first Seinfeld nights, we lost 17 to three um, and people stuck around and um, 
it's all because of, of the storytelling that, that we did as a franchise um, that, that day to try to make the event successful. But I think that's also, you know, sort of the carryover and then where what what we do promotionalize and what you do on the air. Um, there's some crossover there and just, you know, telling a story and making things entertaining, even when the game itself may, may not be. But we've also had the fortune of having some great guys here, some great players, especially over the last few years, some guys who you will be calling in, in Queens, after you got the, the call here in, in Brooklyn to start off with, you know, guys like Brett Beatty, guys like Francisco Alvarez, um, in a few years, maybe this year, Ronnie Mauricio, um, Alex Ramirez was here last year. Um, you know, there's going to be a number of guys that sort of come up through the system. Um, who are some people that you've seen in your time here in Brooklyn, whether it be, um, you know, with the Cyclones or guys that we face that are sort of standouts uh, in your mind of some of the, the better plays you've seen? So definitely going from short season to high A made things uh, grow leaps and bounds with the type of play that we see and just how quickly these guys get to the major leagues. I think when Michael Conforto was here, which was before my time, he was drafted, got sent to Brooklyn, and the next October he's playing the outfield in the World Series. That that also that doesn't happen very often. But at high A, it's a hop, skip, and a jump to the big leagues. So yep, during my time, it's been Brett Beatty. Francisco Alvarez obviously came up at the end of 2022, but it's been other people getting the call. Uh, I remember Colin Holderman got called up. I remember when Holderman was just charting games up upstairs behind me in 2019, 18, when it was short season and he was injured a ton and the long road to get back. Speaking of which, Bryce Montez de Oca, who is a Frankenstein giant freak athlete, just the most intimidating human being in the world. He's a big softy. He's just the nicest kid ever, but he throws 103 and looks uh, crazy intimidating. Seeing those guys get up there, it's it's such an accomplishment. It's kind of the same way what you said in the beginning of, oh, the Brooklyn guys going up to the big leagues. That was, that was fast. You see Brett Beatty taking at-bats against the Braves, against the Yankees in the big leagues, and you think, oh, wow, he's, he's just getting started. He's just getting – he's not getting started. He's had – 1,200 at-bats getting to this place. You, he's hit home runs and doubles and triples that will never be recorded and added to his potential you know, Hall of Fame Cooperstown total if he gets there, if any of them get there. But think, you, you know this, but think of all the innings and injuries and long bus rides that these guys went on just to even get to this spot. So I'll never forget the, the Beatty home run last year. I was... Calling it, uh, calling the Cyclones game, and one of the Mets personnel, front office uh, analyst people, was watching the the Beatty game on his iPad in front of me, and I'm calling the Cyclones game, watching the Mets game, and okay, I'm calling the game. I see Beatty comes up, and I call a pitch, and I see I think Beatty might have taken a pitch. I call the Cyclones game. I look back, and all of a sudden, the person watching is like turning around, trying to get everybody's attention, and I see Brett rounding the bases. And even now, as I t- tell the story, I'm getting chills and goosebumps because yeah, same here. Same in, here. In that moment, I'm calling a Cyclones game where this kid was last year, where he was two years before as a little 19 year old, little baby fat Brett Beatty, and now he's just he hit a home run on his first at bat in the big leagues against the Atlanta Braves, and I'm trying not to cry on the air, like doing the, another game that people are like, what is wrong with him right now? Why is he getting choked up? until I explained to the audience what was happening. But those kind of relationships, 
you really just build. I've been in this Mets family since 2018, and now that I get a chance to see them when they get to the major leagues, it's it's insane. And it'll be just so fulfilling and satisfying because, at least from their perspective, how hard it is to get there. And I think I haven't worked it out yet. I don't want to spoil it. Not that I'll even have a chance to do this. But one of the things I've always wanted to do, dreaming of getting to the big leagues, is that if there a guy does make his MLB debut as a hitter, let's say, I would love to just start reading all of the levels that it took. Brett Beatty was a Brooklyn Cyclone and a St. Lucie Met and a Binghamton Rubble Pony and a Syracuse Met and now a New York Met. Just to, again, show everybody how freaking hard and how long it took these guys to get there because it is an insane, insane accomplishment. Yeah, we had a guy here, um, Alberto Baldonado. This is well before your time. I think he played here in like 2012 or 2013. Um, and a few years ago, he came out of the bullpen for the Nationals and made his major league debut. And it was literally like a decade after this guy had played in Brooklyn that he is, you know, on the mound facing the Mets um, in a Washington Nationals uniform. And, you know, that, that stuff happens more frequently than you think. So it, it is. It's, it's an amazing climb for the players. But I've said this to you that I, I think what you're about to accomplish here is – potentially even more amazing because there's a 26-man roster. Guys get a cup of coffee in the big leagues. Guys retire. Guys get cut. Guys get injured. There's there's guys that get are going to make that climb to the major leagues. We had a guy, Connor Gray, who pitched for us in 2021, who went up to the big leagues, never actually threw a pitch for the Mets, was just with the Mets for a while, but he got that big league experience. So something like that is more frequent than an opportunity like this where you're going to be a, a major league uh, broadcaster and that is like you know un- unbelievable there's there's 120 minor league teams they have two broadcasters each there's 30 major league teams they have two broadcasters each you know that's just the simple math of it it's 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 banana land um so we're talking about from from here to the to, to the from the cyclones we've had the first game ever we had dave sims who is now the seattle mariners broadcaster calling the game for pbs the first game of 2001. We had Warner Fussell from This Week in Baseball fame, who was our broadcaster and the voice of the Cyclones for uh, more than a decade. Um, he was he was our, our play-by-play guy. We had Kurt Menefee call our games on Fox Sports New York before SNY existed. He's gone on to do some stuff. We had Kevin Burkhart, who called games on SNY when uh, we had some, some games there as well before he went out to Fox and is now going to be calling the Super Bowl. So um, that's a, a nice little jump for him. We had Jake Eisenberg, who was with us in uh, 2017 and called some games for us then and, you know, called some games for that's last year. So, you know, we are, our slogan is amazing starts here. And we do that with Pete Alonzo and Jeff McNeil and Brandon Nimmo and all those guys that we're proud of. But, you know, we should probably start tallying up all these other guys that are doing big things off the field. So, you know, I let, ran, ran off some names there of guys who have been here and gone on to, to do some things in the major leagues. Who are some guys that, you know, you've had a wide range of experiences. Like you said, you know, you've been in the, the res organization, you were calling games in Frisco. Who are guys that you listen to, you know, you're in college, you're in Ohio, or you're listening to Reds games. Um, are you listening to St. Louis games, to the Cubs games? Who are some of the influences on you as you sort of develop as a broadcaster? My biggest one is uh, Al Michaels. A lot of people say when you listen to Al Michaels, you know, he's taking some flack lately from his, uh, playoff uh, demeanor, a little, little too chill. But when you watch Sunday Night Football or back in the day, Monday Night Football, just 
I forget who said it. I heard someone say that like Al Michaels wants is a, is a bourbon and a cigar and you're just sitting by the fire hanging out. His conversational style is what I strive to go for. I don't want to be Al Michaels. I would love to deliver the feeling that Al Michaels delivers through his his style, which is, in my opinion, the best. Uh, and he's developed as well uh, with, with where he started from. But Al, I'd say, would be number one. Uh, living in in Ohio when I was getting started, uh, Marty Brenneman with the the Cincinnati Reds. Who, by the way, I don't know if people realize this. I think he took over in 1974 doing Reds broadcasts. The guy he replaced was Al Michaels, <laughs> and then Brenneman did the job from 1974 to 2000. I want to say 19 uh, with Cincinnati. Now Tommy Thrall is doing those games. Another rising star in the industry, uh, but that. Connection, the local connection uh, at that time was really big for me. Um, understanding the difference between being a national guy and being a, a local guy. I mean, Howie Rose is is the true testament of what a quote unquote local guy is. How many how many fan bases in the city get a chance to say, "Oh, he's he's our guy." Islanders fans, Rangers fans, New York Mets fans all get to say, "Oh, Howie's Howie's our guy. He gets us," and that attracted me always. I know you said Burkhart, he's going off to the Super Bowl, and I just, that's amazing. I don't, my thing is the local, the local connection, how important it is to be somebody's kind of uh, voice every single night instead of doing the, the one off NFL game on a Sunday, because I just found that to be the most important thing to me. So I sort of attracted to the, the John Sterlings of the world who have been doing it for 35 years and are not cookie cutter, and Howie Rose is not cookie cutter. And they are so good and they're so New York and so local. And the attraction of coming back to Brooklyn to do that, I mean, you've got Vince Scully on the list, uh, Red Barber, talked about Ernie Harwell, guys that have called games for a Brooklyn franchise. Jake Eisenberg's on that list. To be on that list, I mean, that that's unbelievable. And the, the Brooklyn job, quote unquote, could have done this job for 25 years and have been thrilled because you actually see the people you're talking to. You know them. You meet them. You understand what they're like, what they want to hear, uh, what they don't want to hear. And I think that was the most important thing to go from that kind of bird's eye view of who are some of the best broadcasters. Al Michaels is my favorite conversational broadcaster. Joe Buck nails the punctuation of the big moment of the big national game uh, better than anyone, in my opinion. And then the local guys, the Gary's. Uh, Gary Cohen, Gary Keith and Ron, Howie, Wayne, uh, who was here for about nine years. That's my favorite part. And then, of course, me being the Brooklyn guy and bugging these people in the last few years for tickets and sponsorships, too, on the phone. And, oh, yeah, I'm the radio guy. Come on down uh, and just be in one big happy community. So taking enough of your time here, and this is probably going to be the first the first time a lot of Mets fans are going to get sort of introduced to you, ones that are silly enough to not follow along with the Brooklyn Cyclones on a daily basis. But, um, you know, what do you want to say to, you know, a, a Mets fan who's going to be getting to know you, like who you are, what you're going to bring to the table and, uh, you know, just what it means to you to be in this position. So I grew up in Valley stream. I'm from the South shore of long Island. I went to Chaminade high school. I am just like you. I am just a regular kid from long Island who gets to sit in a pretty good seat every night and, talk for three hours but outside of that the the prep that goes into that is just me being me and that comes from interacting with 
the people at the deli. If you're in line for a roast beef sandwich and I hear you talking about how the Mets bullpen blew it or uh, Pete Alonso had a big clutch hit or whatever. I, 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 I love those interactions. I love that. That's what I mean about the local community feel. And listen, to me, I'm not a celebrity or anything like that. I'm just a regular guy. If you see me, if you I'm on the subway or I'm walking down the street, say hello. I, I really want to know you. And I really want to be able to spend the tell the story of at least now the 2023 New York Mets with you and sit with you and try to win a World Series with you. That would be pretty wild to say. Um, but I'm just I'm just like you, I guess, is my my thing. I, you know, I have a great job. I take it very seriously. I try to have a lot of fun and I try to smile as much as possible. But after you get to know me, you'll probably realize that after listening or or meeting me that. We'll probably try to laugh as much as possible and have a good time. And as a guy who's gotten the pleasure of getting to know you over the last few years, um, it's been amazing to see not only how um, you're just authentic all the time. And, you know, what you're saying is you're just a dude. You're just a guy. Come up and say hello. Like, that's that's not like. BS. I guess I'm going to say BS. I don't want to curse here, but I mean, you know, you you interact with our fans on a daily basis. You have women coming up giving you cookies, um, moms and dads coming up to say to the press box, do they feel like your family? I mean, this um, on behalf of Cyclone fans, on behalf of you know the people here in Brooklyn, thank you for everything. Um, it has been a pleasure getting to know you. It has been a pleasure working with you, and uh, we are all thrilled for this opportunity for you. The Brooklyn Cyclones will always be. Always be my family. The Brooklyn community will always be my family. It is the one that believed in me every single game, um, sat alongside every single game, and I will miss the cookies from the DiBernardo sisters before Sunday games when they would decide to to make them for us up in the booth. I'll miss the hugs from the the parents when they say, "You make this. You make the game sound so big every single night." And it doesn't even matter what I said about them. I just, the feeling that I gave them, that's all I'm ever going for is, is that. And when I said, Brooklyn, you have your title in 2019 and the people that have been working here for 20 years who know Brooklyn better than I do said that that call gave them chills. I can't, uh, I can't ever, ever repay what this family has, has meant to me. So I'm eternally, eternally grateful to the Brooklyn Cyclones. Your next uh, Nathan's hot dog will be at a ballpark near you, probably not here in Coney Island, but we'll uh, we'll pour one out for you on on opening day. We'll make sure we get some some uh, red fork fries and some some crinkle cuts, some crinkle cuts, please. Some some crinkle cuts and and we'll cheers in your honor, man. Congratulations again. Uh, couldn't happen to a better guy. Thank you, Billy.